So in our series on adoption, we've thought of being brought into God's family. We've thought how this is part of the whole big scheme that runs through the Bible, um, of this whole story of sonship. We thought about the different members of the Trinity and what they do, this loving Father who displays to us the riches of his love, who loved us before time. Uh, we, we thought of the son, our older brother, who gives himself for us, becomes a slave, dies a slave's death, so that we could become sons and enjoy the same privileges he has. We thought of the Holy Spirit and how he gives us new life, how he assures us that we've got life, and how he's making us into the image of the Son. We thought as well of the discipline that marks us out as legitimate children of our Heavenly Father. And uh, we're going to think this evening about where we're going, our future home. What is home? Not where, but what. Uh, what makes you feel at home? Where do you feel you belong? Uh, whenever you think of home, uh, Peter describes us as uh, foreigners and strangers in this world. Uh, Exiles, he describes as being scattered. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. And perhaps you feel that. Perhaps you feel it more and more that you don't fit in. You don't fit in with the opinions of people around you. You don't fit in with the conversation of friends, old friends perhaps, friends who aren't Christians. If you watch the news and you think, I, just really, I don't really recognize this country anymore. This isn't the country I grew up in. This, this, this isn't home. Um, Hebrews 13, the writer says, for, for here we do not have an enduring city. So we're right not to feel at home. But we are looking for the city that is to come using the imagery of city there, but we could put it in other terms. We're not at home here, but we're looking for the home that is to come. Peter and Emma's card that announced the arrival of Demi, had these words on it, born the 12th of March, 2014, so she was two uh, yesterday, um, came home on the 24th of August, 2015. It was great. Born, 12th of March, 2014. Came home, 24th of August, 2015. It could almost be an entry in God's book of life for us. Born, the date that you came alive on Christ. Came home, the date that you appear in glory. From earth's perspective, we call it death. Uh, from heaven's perspective, it's coming home. Uh, somebody, I just can't quite remember who it was, it might have been one of the American evangelists, uh, um, Moody or Sankey, one of, one of them I think said, one day you will hear that I am, that I am dead. Just don't believe a word of it. I am more alive or I will be more alive than I have ever been. 
Paul writes similarly in 2 Corinthians 5, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. And we talk about Christians who have, who have died, who we describe it as they've gone home to be with God. What a, what a wonderful concept. And even more lovely it is to hear our older brother say how much he desires to have us at home with him. How much he desires and longs for us to be with him in his presence. He's going to the cross to die. And he's praying to his father in John 17, 24. He says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. And to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. She says, I want them home. I want them home. Mark Jones, writing in that book, Knowing Christ, that I mentioned a few weeks ago, says this, We must always remember that when he calls one of his loved ones home to himself, he has gained more than we have lost in the death of our loved one. Jesus desires for us to be home with him. You know, Putting it as reverently as we can in the illustration, it's a bit like a friend, you know, as children. And your greatest desire was to have your friend come over to your house. And you would say, Mommy, Daddy, can they come over to stay? Yes, it's great, you know, fantastic. They're coming to stay. Well, our older brother, we see in his prayer, longs for us to come home to stay. Isn't that magnificent? Paul captures uh, the sense of that majestic adoption in Romans chapter 8. Adoption is a present truth. We are adopted. But in Romans 8, uh, he, he says that we're not done yet. There's, there's a future dimension that the papers have been signed, but we await our resurrection bodies. And that ultimate Homecoming will not happen when we die. It'll happen when Christ returns. And if we've died, we'll be raised. And we'll join those still alive. And like Psalm 24 has it, we'll ascend the hill of the Lord. The gates will be opened. And with the King of glory, we will come home. And that's what we want to look at this evening. Two big ideas to see this evening. A glorious homecoming and a glorious home. One is of a moment and one is of eternity. One is spectacular in the huge transformation that takes place and the other is spectacular in the fact that it goes on and on and on. So first of all, a glorious homecoming. The Bible uses the imagery of sonship and home and uh, right the way 
to the very, and adoption, right the way through to the very last book of the Bible. And one of the, the things about understanding the book of Revelation and understanding the last things is the more we understand the first book of the Bible, the more we understand the first things, the more we'll grasp the last things. The Bible opens with Adam made in the image of God, with God walking and being with Adam and Eve in the garden and them enjoying, Adam and Eve enjoying each other in perfection, in the perfect creation and God and Adam and Eve enjoying fellowship with each other. Adam, Luke describes him as being a son of God. The Bible closes with a renewed earth, perfection, God's people enjoying God's presence. Revelation 21, 7, the one who conquers will have this inheritance and I will be his God and he will be my son. Right the way through. It's not just a little piece of imagery to help us live here and now. This is the big story or one of the big stories of the Bible. The Bible's so rich it is. So many big stories that run through it. Singler Ferguson says, Sonship is the apex of creation and the goal of redemption. We're not done till we're finally home. The language of adoption and sonship used right through to describe how things finish. There's so much about what's to come that is unknown. But there's something wonderful and how our Father in Heaven takes the imagery of home and the imagery of Father and the imagery of sonship and the imagery of adoption, all things that are familiar to us, and uses those to set our mind at ease and to, to do more than that, to fill our hearts with anticipation. Wherever we're going, it's family and it's home. And we want to just let Scripture paint for us the wonder of this homecoming. What will it be like? Imagine life is continuing on as normal. Things are getting worse. Sin and wickedness and immorality are on the increase. All sorts of opposition is arising to Christianity and intensifying. But at the same time, to our excitement, we see the gospel spreading. And we see people from different places and parts and languages coming into God's kingdom. And we see the church spreading and growing. And this is continuing. And the opposition is continuing and mounting. And suddenly, puncturing the ordinariness of life comes an incredible moment. Christ himself appears. We read, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. We rush outside. Picture it as best we can. We rush outside. The sky seems to have been torn apart. The sun seems to have been darkened. Such is the blaze of glory. Through the opening pours a mighty army. At their head is a figure the sight of whom your mouth hangs wide open. And 
he's fearsome, but as you gaze, he's familiar, and he's followed by a host of mighty, mighty, glorious beings. They are majestic, but he is infinitely more majestic than they are. And you would be terrified, but, but you recognize him. Will it be the scars that mark him out as familiar? Or simply the fact that he said he would come back for his people? If we're still alive, as we watch around us, as many are running for their lives, you see people appearing. Some of whom you recognize are people who died long ago, but they're now being raised to life. And as you look at them, they're not sort of ghostly figures that are wavering and shimmering. They're as solid as you or me. And you look at them and they've got resurrection bodies. And you look at yourself and in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, you've been made new. Like Paul says, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. But there's no time to marvel. As you look, you find yourself, as it were, being pulled by some mysterious vortex up into the clouds to join with this great throng and the angels are rejoicing and the, the saints, God's redeemed people, are rejoicing. And they're a happy, holy people and there is joy in heaven's army amongst the angels and the redeemed. The next thing you know, we're homeward bound. We seem to be approaching the gates of a great city. The walls are thronged with angelic beings gazing out. A mighty cry goes up from the ranks of the rescued. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. And the voices come back from the walls. Who is the king of glory? And you join in the mighty roar. He's the Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Again the question, who is he, the king of glory? And everybody roars back, the Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. He's our brother, our captain our king. The doors sweep open and the fanfares sound and this mighty host, a tumult of joy and excitement and laughter and delight spills into this great city. There in the centre of the city is a throne and on it is a being of unapproachable light whom Christ addresses. He says, Father, here I am, the children that you have given me. We're home, Father. We're home, Dad. He's brought us safely home. And he ascends onto the throne, our brother, our captain, our king. And the great roar of joy goes up as you watch All men and all women who have ever lived are there. Those who have been rescued by Christ and those 
who have rejected Christ are there. And the separation is beginning to take place to the right and to the left. To those uh, who are being separated to the left, Jesus is saying, depart from me into everlasting fire. To those on the right, he's saying, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared to you, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And there's this great vindication. You've followed Jesus. You've trusted Jesus. You've been mocked for the sake of Jesus. You've been laughed at by some who are in this great crowd that are standing over to the left now. Perhaps you've been persecuted by them. But Jesus isn't ashamed to call you his brother in public, to call you his sister. His father delights to welcome his returning children home and all the world can see that you belong to this family. You stand before him. When you stand before him, he smiles in recognition. He says, my brother, my sister, often you have given me water to drink. You fed me. You, you, you closed me. You say, well, how? How did I do that? Whatever you did for the least of my disciples, you did for me. Wow, did I do that? And he noticed me. My brother, he noticed. And suddenly, it's over. But not finished. Those who have rejected Christ have been taken away. And now we've just left this great sea of people. And they're of every color. And they're of every skin tone and every language. And the one who sits on the throne addresses you. He points behind you. And you see the earth behind you and it looks more beautiful. Every last scar of sin and pollution is gone. It looks fresh from the hand of the Creator. It looks richer and sweeter than it had ever done at any picture that you'd ever looked at in any travel magazine. And the the great city in which you're standing seems to be coming down to earth. And a voice from the throne says, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And you turn. You see your Savior, your older brother. And he says, welcome to my father's house. There are many rooms here which I've prepared for you. And I've come and brought you to be with me where I am. And like Adam and Eve, or Noah and his family, you, you step, as it were, into this new earth in all its splendor. And there's a sense that it's been waiting for you. Almost as if Creation has been standing on tiptoe, 
eagerly looking forward to see you arrive. That's what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 19. For creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. It's excited about this moment. If it had hands, it would be clapping. If it had voices, it would be cheering. Creation has suffered. And now it sees God's people rescued. and Creation has patiently suffered while God has waited and worked and rescued and saved and sanctified and brought us home. And now creation is delighted, as it were, to see us finally. What a homecoming. Welcomed by the Father. This is my son, my daughter, whom I love. Welcomed by the Son. These are my brothers and sisters. The new creation, as it were, eagerly anticipating our arrival. Everything as it should be. Glorious homecoming. Christ has come for his brothers and sisters. He had said that. If I go, I will come back and take you to be with me where I am. Christ gives us resurrection bodies, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body so that it may be conformed to his glorious body. And Christ leads us in the grand entrance. My Father's house, there are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. A glorious homecoming. What a moment it'll be. But it will not end in that moment. Secondly, a glorious home. The thing about homecomings is that they fade. And life settles back to normal. And we get on with the problems of the present. Louis Zamperini, an American soldier shot down over the Pacific in World War II, um, spent 47 days adrift in a raft, in a life raft, shot at by enemy planes, um, starving to death, uh, attacked by sharks, then captured by the Japanese, brutally treated, tortured, survived, came home, the great welcome, a hero's return, Life was so much better than the prison camp. But even though he was home, life started to unravel because there were many problems that he still had to face. But not for us. Not for us. This is a homecoming that that steps us up to a new level and we stay at that level, as it were, or it gets better and better. The glorious homecoming is only the start because because we've been made perfect. It isn't going to settle down. It isn't going to fall back into the old problems. For Demi, coming home to Peter and Emma was only the start, is only the start. It's the start of being loved by a mother and a father. It's the start of being part of a wider family with cousins and grandparents and aunts and uncles. It's the start of privileges, the privileges not least of 
being part of a covenant family, the promise that God uh, made to my grandparents about my parents, uh, that he made to my parents about their children, he promises to our children. And she's included in that. It's only the start of it. For her, it's the start. Her adoption is the start of finding out about God. It's the start of a journey which we trust will last forever. Coming home was only the start. And so it is for us. It's only the start. Our adoption is only the beginning. Two things to, to unpack. It will be glorious and it will be home. It will be glorious. There will be a glorified humanity. We will be made new. Our adoption is complete. Our souls made new in the likeness of our older brother. Our bodies made new. Souls and bodies in in perfect unity. No more sin. No more irritability. No more doubt. No more fear. No more giving in to temptation. No more sickness. No more fibromyalgia. No more chronic fatigue. No more migraines. No more eyesight problems. No more heart problems. No more thyroid problems. No more of any sort of problem. Paul talks in Romans 8.21 about the glorious freedom. Free. Free from all of those limitations of sickness and sin, of tiredness that frustrates us. In fact, the verse should be better translated, the freedom of the glories of the children of God. Not just the, it's not just that the freedom's glorious, but that the freedom is filled with glory. We will be glorious. We will be at home in a new, fully perfect body and soul. We will be unmistakably us, but we will be utterly different. We will be unmistakably us, but we will be utterly different. We will be functioning the way God meant us to function. We will understand as we gaze at God. We won't take it all in because we will be finite and He is infinite. But we will understand and we will see more. And we won't have temptation to fight against and to to battle against and to to devote our energies to, to that. We can give them to God. Our sinless selves will be our new home. And we will be surrounded by many millions of fascinating individuals, each with their own stories of God's grace in their lives. Just imagine how fantastic it will be to sit down with people from all over the world and hear one story after another of what God has done. It's exciting enough here. How much better will it be there? Just no irritation and no jealousy and just perfect interactions. And by perfect we don't mean ultra pristine and tidy and boring. We mean perfect in the sense of, well, it'll be sinless, but absolutely joy-filled and filled with delight and laughter and glorifying God 
each more amazed at what God has done in somebody else's life and reveling in it. Glorified humanity, glorified creation. It will be glorious. Our home will be gloriously restored. C.S. Lewis pictured this in his Narnia book, The Last Battle. Old Narnia has been done away with and now there is a new Narnia. And he writes this, The difference between the old Narnia and the new Narnia was like that. The new one was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked like it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. If you ever get there, you will know what I mean. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed and then cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. These next words. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. You've had that little glimpse, haven't you? You've tasted something. You've heard a piece of music. You've seen it somewhere. And you've never heard it or tasted it or seen it before, but when you've tasted it, you thought, ah, that's it. That's the flavor that I've been talking about. That's, that's, if I'd only known what it was, that, that's exactly what my taste buds were wired for. That's it. Or music. Or a place. And you're looking and you go, ah, that's what I've been wanting to see. I'm driving around a road. And you have a feeling that there's lovely scenery somewhere. And you come around a bend and it's dull. You come around three or four more bends. Yes, that's it. Lewis says, then he says, The reason we loved the old Narnia so much is because it sometimes looked a little like this. All of those moments where you think, yes, that's it. All of those aspects of this creation where you look at them and you think, yes, isn't that incredible? That, you, you feel that, Lewis says, because it's a little like where we're going. Another writer, Randy Alcorn, uh, said this, The Grand Canyon, the Alps, the Amazonian rainforest, the Serengeti Plain, these are rough sketches of the new earth. It's just great. <laughs> these are rough sketches of the new earth. Glorified creation, glorious family. We've touched on it already. Home is where people love you. And that'll be truer in heaven than it ever was on earth. There, there we will enjoy our family connections. So we're from one house to another. Um, whenever I'm at one of those conferences like Gartmore, it's just like a little taste of heaven for me. I, can, I just sort of wander around. I go out to, to go and do something. And you start talking to this one here and you end up being invited into that tent for coffee and then you end up trying to walk back to your own tent or caravan or whatever and you get called in somewhere else and you're sitting talking about this and then you're, you're watching the afternoon activity with somebody else and you're talking with them. And it's just one just movement from one place to another, enjoying the company of God's people. 
That's a little like what heaven will be like. Glorious family, glorious inheritance. All that Christ has is ours. An inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Primarily because our inheritance is God himself. And Christ will make the Father known to us. And he will display the richness of God to us. And we will enjoy that forever and ever and ever. And he will share out all the the joys of knowing the Father and the Spirit. He will share them with his brothers and sisters. A glorious home. And glorious communion. Best and most incredible of all. God's home will be our home and our home will be God's home. Our home will be God's home. He will dwell with us. It says, He will dwell with us. I love that. Not just that we will dwell with Him, but He will dwell with us. And we will get to know Him above and beyond all measure. This is our inheritance, to to know God and to enjoy Him. The the triune God will be at the center of our home, as it were, of our new home, of this new earth. And we will get to experience the joy and the delight that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have in each other. One writer says, The enjoyment of God is the enjoyment of all the persons of the Godhead in all excellent and endearing relations. What does that mean? But you've got friends who, let's say, a husband and wife have been married for a long time, or two friends that have known each other for years. And because they know each other so well, as you watch them relate to each other and talk with each other and bring out the richness of each other, you get far more out of it than simply you had by knowing this person and by knowing this person. As you see their delight in each other, you think, wow, these people are even better people than I ever knew. As we grasp something of the relations between the Father and the Son and the Spirit, we will say, This God is even better than we could ever have understood. And as we enjoy all that is revealed to us, we will drink forever from the fountain of communion with God. It will be glorious. And it will be home. It will be home. I think that those four letters, that one word, says it all. We know what home is. This is perhaps the sweetest and richest aspect of it. It will be home. Where we belong. Home is where we flourish. Home for uh, my niece Demi will be with Peter and Emma. It's where she'll be safe and loved. It's where... She flourishes in her relationship with her family. And it's 
At its best, home is where everything is right. Home is what the Bible is getting at whenever it talks about shalom, peace. Everything is the way it should be. That's what we're made for. And when God talks about adopting us, He means us to understand that all of the best moments that we think of when we think of being at home here, they are tiny little slivers of what it is, tiny little shadows of what being at home with Him forever will mean. We will feel at home, not simply in some narrow sense, but in its widest possible sense. We, the whole of the creation will be home to us, and there will be nothing to hurt or harm or destroy in all God's holy mountain, as Isaiah puts it. It'll be home, no matter where we are, no matter who we're with in this new heaven and earth, we will feel at home. Because these are our brothers and sisters. And our God is with us. It will be home. And it will be glorious. Let me finish with three applications. Let this give you hope. Many things rob us of our hope. Illness, demoralization, loss of assurance, loss of the dreams that we've had, unanswered prayers cause us to lose our hope. But you have seen the future. You have seen the victory parade. And you are in it. Put your trust in Christ. You are in it. Let this give you hope. Let this give you perspective This isn't our home. We're going home. We don't belong. Our final home isn't isn't here. We look at the luxury homes of the rich and famous and we're envious. We think, well, they get all that. Well, I can't promise that we will have luxury villas in heaven. I don't know. Scripture is silent on how and, and what way... The, the physical reality of heaven's going to work out. There is a physical reality to it. It's the new heavens and the new earth. But whatever it'll be, will far surpass and outstrip the finest that's on offer here. We will not look back and think, ah, you know, I, I really still wish, though, that I got a chance to live in a big swanky house or drive a flash car or... Go and see that part of the world. We will not look back and think for a moment like that. So let it give you perspective. Hardship can be endured if you know that relief and delight are ahead. And then let this give you delight here. This world is not our home, but heaven has broken into this world and into our lives. And we can have the taste of heaven now. We can triumph over sin now. We can enjoy God's family now. We can enjoy our God now. And heaven can be in us, as one writer put it, before we are in heaven. 
That's because the spirit of adoption is witnessing with our spirit that we are sons of God. And He's the down payment of our inheritance, our future home. God with us, God dwelling with us. We already have the first part of that. So let that give you delight here as you sample a taste of heaven in this life. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, it's okay to think of this on a Sabbath evening with a group of brothers and sisters in Christ. It's far harder to remember it when we wake up with pain. It's far harder to remember it when uh, we're broken hearted about something It's far harder to hang on to it whenever um, day after day there's uh, tiredness and illness racking our bodies. So help us to remember. Help us to see. Help us to have a postcard in our mind's eye of our future home. Help us to see in Scripture Each time we read it, some foretaste of heaven. Help us to have those foretastes even now. Those echoes. Help us to catch the echo of the world that is to come. And to enjoy the promise. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.